This is Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Set up one headman, right to Kucherov. Score! Patrick Kucherov! You can pick apart any game and critique any team, especially after a loss, but a lot of people sometimes do it after a win as well. But I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the object of any type of competition between two teams is to win. And I felt like, and I'm going to bring in my partner, the radio voice, the lighting, Dave Michigan, of course, to get his thoughts. Steve Ersnick joins us as well. But I thought the game against the Bruins was a bit better than the one against the Caps. And the most important thing is Tampa Bay has compiled four points so far during this round-robin tournament. We know they're not going to be the fourth seed for sure, and they have an opportunity, depending on what happens with some of the other teams in this tournament, on Saturday if they take care of business against the Flyers to be in a really good spot. But I thought the Bruins game was a bit better than the Caps game, and I think considering the fact that this team hasn't played in quite some time, just like every other team in the National Hockey League, taking those steps, positive steps, to get to where you eventually want to get to with your game is encouraging. And that's what I saw yesterday against the Bruins. Certainly there is a lot to talk about regarding that game. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio, at Dave Michigan, and at Greg Linelli. Dan Rosen, senior writer for NHL.com, will join us as well, coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll get his thoughts on how the tournament has progressed so far. What surprises is he seeing throughout uh, these games early on? And what does he make of Tampa Bay's play up to this point? But let me bring in my good friend and the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin, who had a front row seat calling that game yesterday with Phil Esposito. Uh, Dave, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I thought obviously the Bruins pushed back at times in that game yesterday, but I thought Tampa Bay did a lot of good things they can build on moving forward. I do agree. Uh, There were similarities, obvious ones, between the Washington game and the Boston game. The Lightning had a 2-0 lead. The other team rallied to tie it, and the Lightning ultimately prevailed against Washington. It was a win in the shootout, and yesterday they won late in regulation. There was a point where the other team made a push. They had fewer power play chances than the opposition in both games, and we can get into that as well. They were shorthanded four times in both games. But I thought there were some fairly obvious differences as well. And if you recall, when we broke down the Washington game, we talked about how the Lightning really had that game, if not in hand, they they were in control of things up until the last couple of minutes of the second period. Washington scored two quick goals, and then the Caps really had the run of things in the third period, and the Lightning were back on their heels. And John Cooper even said the next day, we didn't have a great third period. But they got through it, and they ended up winning in the shootout, and the other part of that was Washington raised its physicality. Remember, we talked a lot about that in the second period and whether or not that helped their game and maybe detracted a little bit from the Lightning's game, and I think that is a question that is still open for debate. But it's it's not within any question that the Caps had a better third period than the Lightning, and the Caps were better in the third period than they had been earlier in the game. So the Boston game. 
instead of two parts, I saw this game in three parts. And to kind of build a picture here, remember what we were saying about the Bruins coming in. The Bruins were not looking like themselves prior to that game on Wednesday. And by themselves, I mean a team that has a dynamic top line, really dangerous power play, and incredibly tight structured defense, team defense. They led the league in fewest goals allowed during the regular season. That team had not yet shown itself since arriving in Toronto. They were flat in an exhibition loss to Columbus. They did not play well in their first round robin loss against Philadelphia. And I thought in the first 15 minutes or so of the game yesterday, the Bruins were still looking to find themselves. And the Lightning played very well. They built a 2-0 lead. They were skating. They were breaking down the Bruins. Remember we talked about how the Bruins gave up goals on two separate odd man rushes against the Flyers that's very rare. The Lightning had a couple of odd man rushes in the first few minutes of that game yesterday. And Palat was stopped by Rask on one, but on the second one, a three on two, point ends up scoring on a rebound. So the Lightning did well, but that's not the way the Bruins typically play. So that was kind of my first chapter, the first 15 minutes. But I thought late in the first, the Bruins seemed to find their legs and seemed to find their structure. And the ice tightened up a lot. And that leads to kind of the second segment, which was probably the last five minutes of the sec- uh, the first period, the entire second period, and then the first half of the third period. And in that segment, it was fairly evenly played. The Bruins had a puck possession advantage, though, in large part because they were thoroughly dominant on face-offs. From the latter part of the first period to the beginning of the third, the Bruins won 22 of 26 face-offs. I mean, that's just insanely productive. And one of them led to a goal when McAvoy scored late in the second. So let's contrast that with what happened in the third period on Monday. On the third period, in the third period on Monday against Washington, the Lightning dipped. Their play dipped. And Washington was able to generate a lot of pressure. I don't think that happened yesterday. So what I'm saying is, even when the Bruins elevated their game and and played better, and had more puck possession than the Lightning. Neither team gave an inch defensively. And I think that's really important for the Lightning. They held their structure. They limited chances against. Their puck management Their puck management was good, with one notable exception. They made one turnover in their own zone that I can remember, and that led to the Chris Wagner goal. It's going to happen, but for the most part, the Lightning did very, very well in not letting the Bruins kind of roll with their possession advantage and gain a lot of momentum. They did tie the game, but I don't think that was a function of the Bruins' dominating play. I don't think it was that at all. And that is an improvement on Monday. And then we have the last seven minutes of the third period. And once the Lightning got through their fourth and final penalty kill, they took over the game. The Lightning had 10 of the last 11 shots in regulation, they had a handful of chances. Braden Point had a chance. Palat had a chance. They had goal mouth scrambles. And then, of course, they scored the goal with Tyler Johnson. So, again, if we were to look at the difference between yesterday and Monday's game, 
the Lightning finished that game yesterday much differently than we saw the game wind down on Monday. And so, given all of that, the Lightning finished better than Monday. And when the other team surged, they weren't as dangerous as Washington was. The Bruins, in my opinion, weren't as dangerous as Washington was when Washington surged. I thought that was also good. And that is a credit to the Lightning and how well they defended without the puck, how they held their structure, how they didn't panic, even though the ice was closing up on them. They were not getting as much room as they had had earlier in the game. So I think when you factor all of that in, to me, it was a really good win and a very impressive uh, performance. What I also like, too, is we saw them on the power play. And Dave, you and I talked about this before. You know, a big part of Tampa Bay's game, and I know in some ways it fluctuates game in and game out because you are being evaluated by an official. So it's a judgment play. So one game you could have five power play opportunities. The next game you might have zero, which I find utterly absurd for any team to go through a game and not be on a power play. I just think the game's too fast. I think there are infractions. I made the analogy or the comparison, Dave, that I, I think you could call a penalty basically every other shift if you wanted to in hockey, just like you could call holding in the NFL on every single play. That being said, it was nice to see Tampa Bay get a couple of power play opportunities early on, and I made a note of it, especially the first one that happened very early in the game. You had Kevin Shattenkirk, who had a nice backhand shot uh, that was that was saved, obviously. Sergachev also had a good shot from the point. It seemed to settle them down a little bit. They got into rhythm, and then, of course, they get the power play goal to make it 2-0, uh, Kalorn on the tip from the headman shot. So, again, I know you don't want to live and die by the power play, but the power play is a part, maybe a bigger part of Tampa Bay's offense than some other teams, mainly because they're so skilled. And I was just very encouraged to see them, A, get on the power play, and B, create some momentum with it, and eventually they scored a goal. That is true, but, and I'm going to ask Dan Rosen about this, not from the Lightning's perspective, but an overall perspective about the officiating. Yeah. Because for the Lightning to not get a single power play in the final 50 minutes, so their their second and final power play came at 10-19 of the first. So after that, they didn't get a power play. And they've had two power play opportunities in two total games. But we've seen other teams. I'm looking at the stats here, Greg. The Blackhawks have had 16 power play opportunities in three games so far. Right. And the majority of the league is in double digits of power play chances, having played two to three games, which is still a lot more than the Lightning have gotten. So that is still probably a little bit of a bone of contention on the lightning well, what you, side you know dave what do you how is that? this how is this possible yeah. against <laughs> and and all right let me segue for a second go ahead go ahead because we talked a lot about washington's physicality and how that may have had an impact on the game and the caps believed that playing that way helped their game and maybe it did and if that's the way they reacted to it more power to them but yesterday, the Bruins also tried to do that. It was noticeable. And I think it got them it got them playing better as opposed to the first 15 minutes when they looked flat. They started being more physical, and the Lightning met the challenge like the Lightning did against Washington. But the difference is that it didn't really seem to affect the Lightning's game yesterday. 
And in fact, as we just said, the Lightning charged to the finish line in that game. So if there's any notion that a team playing the Lightning physically or pushing the envelope against the Lightning is going to make them wilt and go away, I think yesterday's game is an example of how that is not the case. So that's why I really felt that the Washington game was a one-game sample size. Now, if they played a seven-game series against the Caps and every game unfolded the exact same way, then maybe we would see a trend. But I thought yesterday, the Lightning were not affected adversely in any way by what Boston was trying to do in terms of their physical play. And the Lightning were, were physical too. I'm not saying that it was one-sided. But for a game to unfold that way and to see the Lightning get no power plays from the middle of the first period through the end of the game was surprising, it's as was menor. the game on Monday. Horse manure, Dave. Horse manure. That's what <laughs> I want to say. It's horse but we've But we've said that the Lightning can't let the officiating no, they and can't. how the game is called affect their game, and I don't think they did yesterday. No, they I didn't. Think, I think they persevered and, and, yes. and thrived despite a, not getting any calls. It's a great point. I, I'm just saying... In an environment like that, when teams are allowed to play the way the Caps did and go over the line, and essentially they get rewarded for that by no penalties being called, they benefit way more in this type of tournament than a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are skilled and gritty, but part of, again, part of what they do is on the power play. If you take that out or minimize that, greatly in the playoffs and look not an excuse i think i think these are facts that hurts them more than something else for another team that you take away because of the skill set that few teams have up and down that lineup we'll talk more about that later on i want to get to one more point before we get to dan rosen from nhl.com we talk about the depth scoring we've talked about the talents and dave yesterday Really good to see Tyler Johnson score a goal. Very key guy for this team moving forward. But Yanni Gord, as you and Philip pointed out, has been playing some good hockey, and he made the play, or the shot, I should say, to set up Tyler Johnson. That's been very encouraging to see as well. That was not a shot to score. Now, you do want to score, of course. But he was shooting at the net. Yes with an intent of forcing a rebound out in front because he was aware that Johnson was crashing the net. Very smart play. Phil talked about that when it happened. And good for Yanni. I mean, he is playing such inspired hockey right now. And I can't remember if it was Coop or one of the players post-game yesterday. They were asked. It must have been John Cooper because he was asked about Yanni's play and you know his goal drought seems like a lifetime ago right and he was playing better even near the end of that drought and then he did score and I thought he played he played well through that and and up until the season paused but a break like this allows him a fresh start too and he looks like he's been shot out of a cannon ever since camp started and he's been really driving the bus for the Lightning. Like he's been stirring things up. He playing with Coleman and Goodrow, they they stir things up on the ice. They get under the skin of the opposition, all three of them. 
And that's been a really effective line for Tampa Bay. Dan Rosen is up next from NHL.com. Greg Linelli, Dave Mishkin with you, recapping Tampa Bay's win over the Bruins yesterday. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. We're just moving along here on a Thursday. Greg Linelli, along with the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Dave Michigan. Steve Ersnick is producing. Glad you're with us here. And joining us right now, good friend of the program, does great analysis. When it comes to the NHL, it would be senior writer at the NHL, NHL.com. Let's welcome back to the program, Dan Rosen. Dan, great to be with you. Uh, I, I got to ask you right out of the gate. Are you on location? Are you in the bubble? Or are you operating from your luxurious suite, which is your house? Uh, I'm in the luxurious suite of my home, my own home. <laughs> it is a very strange way to cover the playoffs, I will tell you that much. Uh, but we're all in this together, I should say, right? Some might say there are a lot of luxurious suites in these hub cities. It sounds like <laughs> the writers who are there are living high on the hog. But Dan, I want to I start off with this question. And heading into this very unique scenario... A lot of the talk by pundits and those of us who cover this game talked about, you know what, you got these 24 teams. For the most part, they're all healthy. We've never seen that before. This thing is wide open. And we say that, right? And then we get into this play-in round, and we see the two 12 seeds up 2-1, which would back up that theory that this thing is wide open. But... How high is your surprise level that Chicago (laughs) and Montreal are up in their respective series? It's marginally high with the Blackhawks only because the opponent is the Oilers. They don't have a lot of experience. They don't play a lot of defense all the time. They don't have an elite goaltender. They have two elite players uh, that make up a lot of difference for them, but the Blackhawks have some elite players on their own, and with Corey Crawford and Net, their goaltending is better. Uh, their defense is not good, not great, but I mean, neither is Edmonton's. So uh, I guess it's marginally high from that perspective. It's ridiculously high from the Canadians to the Penguins' perspective because I did not see this coming at all. Uh, the, I, the Penguins have had defensive issues that have led to goals against. We figured Carey Price was going to be good, but there was no chance in my mind that they would, the Canadians would be able to make up the difference you know, uh, on the other end. And there you got Jeff Petrie just shooting BBs into the net. I mean, it's pretty amazing what's happening here. And, and the Pittsburgh Penguins up 3-1, to one, game 3, chance to take a stranglehold on the series, and you blow it? Very uncharacteristic from what we've seen from the Penguins in the past four or five years. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think now Dave and I actually had this conversation the other day. When you have these really elite teams, Dan, for a long time, you're always curious to see when does that wall hit and when does the play start to trickle down. I'm not telling you they can't come back and beat Montreal. They may. I think they are the better team. Carey Price is playing well. Matt Murray's been okay. I think that's a bigger discussion down the road. But... It is interesting because you can throw the Lightning in this category. The Lightning are kind of, I think, an ascending team. You know, teams like Pittsburgh, Chicago. Um, you're just always Boston, even though they went really far last year, came within a game of winning the Stanley Cup. You're always keeping an eye on them because of 
the veterans they have on their team and how much mileage they have on their bodies. A hundred percent. And to be honest with you, I mean, I guess the, 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 the thing that I thought coming into this playoffs, this type of playoffs, was the teams that are younger and have some fresher legs. To me, those were going to be the teams that you know that that really could make up, you know, make some strides here. And just just thinking on along those lines, because I just thought like they're you know almost like an old car. It takes a little while for older guys to get going. You know what I mean? Um, and I think in parts we are seeing that. I really do. Uh, you, you think about the Bruins, right? They haven't really gotten themselves up and running yet. And maybe they will. They have a seven-game series and you know, to, to, to look forward to. But they're one of, you know, they're not the oldest team in the league. But they've got a, their, their, their core players are among the older players. And then you look at a team like the Blackhawks, whereas, yes, Duncan Keith, Patrick Kane, and Jonathan Taves and Corey Crawford are their core, right? So those have been around for a while. But they're the youngest team in the league, average age. of uh, I'm sorry, the youngest team of the 24 teams returning to play here in terms of average age. So the, there's something to be said for that, I think. And, the, you know, like, so I, I think it's very interesting. You, you're right. I think the, the Lightning, who kind of bucked that trend a little bit, they are one of the older of the 24 teams, are an ascending team, whereas the Penguins might be a little bit of a descending team. I still am never going to say they're out of it with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang in the lineup. But what I will say is if I was Mike Sullivan, I would seriously consider putting Tristan Jerry in net. And it's not a knock necessarily on Matt Murray. It's more of a wake-up call to the rest of his team. Dan, Lightning fans are very happy, obviously, that the team yeah. is 2-0 so far through these first two round-robin games. Across the board, though, they are not happy with the officiating. The Lightning have been awarded a total of two power play opportunities total in their first two games and I'm not going to ask you about that I'm not going to do that to you <laughs> but I'm I'm curious about your perspective overall through this first week relating to power play chances because some teams are getting five six seven opportunities yeah. in a game other teams far less what do you make of that disparity and do you think as we get farther in into this thing because typically in the playoffs you don't see five six seven chances per team in a game do you think that number will start to come down i think that the referees in this first week have been calling a lot to set a standard um the stick fouls are no goes you know we want games to have flow we don't want the slashes and the hooks um we, you know the holds with the sticks things along those lines um I, I think we, we are seeing a standard being set that as this goes on, I wouldn't be surprised if it loosens a little bit, but I think they needed to set a strict standard here because if it was, if it started loose, then where do you go from there? Then all of a sudden you're going to tighten it up and everybody's like, what's happening here? Well, boy, that wasn't a penalty last game, you know? So I think they, that you're seeing that a little bit, but I will say, I mean, I'm watching a lot of hockey these days and a lot of these penalties, they're penalties, you know? And, and I think some of you know, the majority of them are must calls. I really do. So I don't mind the standard being strict. I really don't. And because you, you can loosen it a little bit from there. If you started too loose, then what, then, like I said, where do you go from there? Dan Rosen from NHL.com joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. A few more questions for Dan. 
Um, so we've seen some penalties. We've seen the ice choppy, the fans obviously not in the stands, but we've seen some fisticuffs. Anything that has jumped out at you, Dan, watching these games, the play, lack thereof, uh, that's really resonating home? I think the diff- there, there is certainly a difference in, um, I think, intensity uh, from both teams from between the round-robin games and the, and the play-in, so to speak, games. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm watching last night Colorado and Dallas, and Colorado skating circles around the Dallas Stars, and the Dallas Stars are kind of, you know, they're not happy, but they're not like, tense or nervous and they're not like rat they're playing more of a regular season game you know what i mean like oh we're down three to nothing in the third period okay all right we'll just move on to the next one you know it's almost like that that old adage of all right pack it up boys on to the next city even though they're not doing that whereas in the you know the 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 playing rounds you're seeing teams like the blackhawks and the canadians who by the way have nothing to lose in this so they're just kind of playing free and loose um coming back from deficits late in games, pushing, pushing, pushing the intensity from the start of those games, I think has been different. And I think it's going to be very interesting to me how that plays out starting next week when the Bruins and the Lightning and the Caps and these teams are now moving into the best of seven series where it's, you know, you you play to win or, or that's it. So, that's the question that everybody had going into this. You know, I mean, when you know you're playing a team that's going to be playing playoff hockey already, um, and I think that puts you know the team, the top four seeds, maybe at a bit of a disadvantage, and that's why you know they have to in these round robin games treat them as as if they're elimination games, and it's very hard to do though mentally. That's hard to do. Last one from me, Dan. You just mentioned Colorado, and they look great, and oh. not coincidentally, <laughs> they're healthy. They got. A lot of injured guys back because of the pause. I wanted to ask you about it because you're based in New York, so you know those teams well. I want to ask you a question each about the Rangers and the Islanders related to the pause. The Rangers were playing very well before we paused the season. And I'm wondering, I understand they got Kreider back where he Mm -hmm. was hurt at the time of the pause. But do you think the pause may have hurt them particularly because they were playing so well and they weren't able to recapture that as quickly, maybe as Carolina did. And then secondly, the Islanders get back Adam Pellick, who is very underrated maybe for a lot of hockey fans who don't follow the Islanders, but he is a really important part of their defense core and allows Barry Trotz to slot the defenseman how he wants to. And when they were playing their best hockey, he and Pollock were their top pair at the start of the year before he got hurt. So kind of the, the two teams, the pause, how much did it hurt the Rangers and maybe how much has it helped the Islanders getting Pellick back? Yeah, I, I think you're spot on there. No question about it. I think the pause really hurt the Rangers. Um, guys were come, you know, everybody got healthy. Right. So that that's OK. Everybody was in that boat. So that you, you, you're you're no different if you're the Rangers getting Kreider back than you are of the Islanders getting Pelic back. I mean, those are two very important players. But you're right. The Rangers were rolling. Mika Zibanejad was as hot as any player has ever been in the National Hockey League going into the pause. He's every game he was scoring. It was ridiculous. Panarin was terrific. And then it hits. It stops. And it's hard, especially for a team as young as the Rangers, to get it right back. Whereas the Islanders were not playing well. 
going into the pause. Um, in fact, the Islanders really hadn't played well since late November when their 17-game point streak ended. They were below NHL 500 from then on. Got a chance to refresh, restart everything. Pellick comes back and you know, kind of recalibrate themselves, and they've they've been a lot better. Now, Florida got them yesterday, but they've been a lot better. The, 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 the difference, no question about it. Any team, I think, that was rolling going into the pause got hurt by this. Uh, that's why I'm curious to see about like a team like the Philadelphia Flyers. They were rolling yeah. going into the pause, too. Are they going to be hurt by this? We'll see. But the Rangers certainly were. Carolina was all over them. The Rangers, they didn't show up for the first two games of that series. Carolina was terrific. There was a big reason why. Um, but, you know... It, Definitely, no question about it. The Islanders benefited from this, and the Rangers did not. Dan, great stuff as always. I know you got to run. Why don't you promote that podcast that you do and let people know yes. when and where they can listen? We are about to record it. We're going to have uh, Brady Shea from the Carolina Hurricanes and Hal Gill uh, of the Predators Radio Network on the podcast. This uh, It'll be today, the NHL at the Ring podcast, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Dan, we'll do it again soon. Thanks again for checking in. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. You got it. All right. All right. Dan Rosen from NHL.com. Always enjoy when Dan comes on to talk a little hockey with us. If you want to react to anything Dan had to say, you certainly can do that. Hit us up on Twitter at Greg Linelli or individually at Dave Michigan and at uh, Bolts Radio. We'll take a break. We'll come back and wrap this show up. Take your questions and talk more about the Lightning's win over the Bruins yesterday. And what do you make of the team's play through two games? Back after this on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. All right, glad you're with us. Still a lot to get to. Power Lunch rolls along. Greg Lanelli, Dave Mishkin with you. Steve Ersnick is producing. If you want to chime in, you certainly can. And uh, we'll get those questions on the air and uh, do our best to answer them. And that's what we want to do. Uh, Dave, I want to touch on, let's start right now with the goaltending. It's been outstanding. Um, you know, maybe we could quibble with um, one of the goals that Vassy gave up yesterday. But, you know, I think anytime there's deflections or screens, it's, it's tough to really fault the goaltender too much. I mean, I think when the puck goes through them, I think a lot of people say that's on the net minder, but I think there's a lot of factors sometimes that play into that. That being said, I think Vassy, when these teams have pushed in these first two games, I think he's done a really good job of making sure that he's giving his team an opportunity to catch their breath and regroup and push back. And I think he's played very well in these two games. And now I think the bigger question will be, how much does he play on Saturday, and do we see Curtis McElhaney at all? John Cooper said that we would see Curtis McElhaney. He said it before they began even the exhibition game against Florida. He said it again prior to the Boston game that McElhaney would get in one of the final two. He didn't know which one, and he didn't play yesterday, so therefore it would be the Philadelphia game on Saturday. But until he actually gets in there, we don't know. I think they do want him to see some action. And maybe going part and parcel with that is the question, 
has Vasilevsky gotten enough action through these first two games? And and Vasi is going to start the game on Saturday. John Cooper made that clear, but would he get the whole game? Would he get two periods? Would he get half the game? We're going to have to wait and see. But, you know, the other part of this is Philadelphia and Washington play today, this afternoon, and any outcome that does not feature Washington winning in overtime in the shootout would mean that the Lightning have secured at least one of the top two seeds. So if Philly wins, the Lightning are first or second. If Philly wins in overtime, the Lightning are first or second. If Washington wins in regulation, the Lightning are going to be first or second. Now, they would have to presumably either beat the Flyers on Saturday or if they don't beat the Flyers, if Washington's the team that could catch them, have Boston beat Washington or have you know the, the points work out so that they're either ahead of Washington or tied with Washington in case they don't win on Saturday to get the top seed. But I don't know how much priority they're putting on the first seed as opposed to one of the top two. So it really seemed like they wanted that game yesterday to give themselves some distance between their standings position and Boston standings position. It felt that way. I don't know if you felt that as the game proceeded, but it's 2-1 going into the third. They brought back Vasilevsky to try and seal the deal. They didn't hold on to the lead, but they ended up winning, and now they know they're not finishing fourth. Boston cannot catch them, and they have you know a very good chance of finishing at least second at this point because of that result they got yesterday. So, you know, maybe the circumstances involving the other teams would also affect how much McElhinney plays. But if you were to ask me today, what's my gut? I think McElhinney gets in Saturday, and I think that we're looking at half a game or one period. We're obviously speculating here with this question. I'm going to throw your way. But I'm wondering, too, Dave, if it was a younger netminder backing up Vasilevsky, would there be more of an emphasis to get that goaltender a full game. In other words, I think one of the appeals of Curtis McElhaney is that while he hasn't played a ton of hockey throughout his career, I think the role he has accepted early on as a backup prepares him in a way that allows him to not get as many reps but be very effective. I think it's one of the most amazing things when you start talking about professional athletes is to be somebody like Curtis McElhaney, Dave who's not going to get a ton of reps, who's playing against the elite players in the world maybe every three to four weeks, and to be very good at that job. I'm wondering if it was a younger netminder, when I say younger, you know, 30 or, or younger, especially if it's you know, somebody 25, 26, would there be more of an emphasis to get them a full game? Or because it's Curtis McElhaney, is that luxury there for John Cooper to sit here and say, you know what, this is about getting Vassy ready for the playoffs. I know what McElhaney can do. As long as I get him a period or two, I think we're going to be fine. I think the question at the top of the list, no matter who the backup is, and let's say it's Louis Domingue, who's maybe in that boat, that, that, that category that you just spelled out. Yes. This is... Last year, the year before, we're in this unusual situation, but it's Louis Domingue as the backup, not Curtis McElhinney. I don't know that 
the metric changes about how they approach this, which was we want to be ready for game one of the playoffs and Vassy's our guy. So it's more about whatever Vasilevsky needs to be ready and less about what does the backup goalie need. Now, they understand they want the backup goalie to get some action. <laughs> and there is that consideration. But I don't know that that the dynamic changes based on who the backup is. Although your point is an accurate one. McElhinney is well-suited to be the guy who can sit for a while, come in and perform at a high level, and then understand that he's not going to play for you know another three games. So... He has settled into that role. He's experienced. He's good at it. And he accepts it, which is also an important part of this. But I still think they would like to get him into some game action. Remember, he hasn't played in any kind of a game except those scrimmages back in Tampa because he didn't play in the exhibition and he's not seen a minute of action in either of the first two round-robin games. Correct. And um, again, you know... We always have this, well, not we, uh, I have conversations with friends about, you know, uh, even the players, Dave, that aren't starters in any professional sport and, and how incredible their athleticism is, not only physically, which speaks for itself. These guys are in the very small percentage of people that can do what they do. And again, I, I know I'm harping on McElhaney, but it's really any backup goaltender or somebody that's not playing regularly. Is what, you know, one of the reasons why these guys are able to get to where they are is that most of the time they're incredibly tough mentally. And I, I think a lot of times you just kind of bring that home to your everyday life. Yeah, physically it's a grind. It can be that way. But it's the people who I think can find motivation and figure out how to get themselves to be productive mentally that also separates somebody who's productive and somebody who's not. And I think especially for a netminder in McElhaney's position, but also Vasilevsky, especially the, a netminder that is under so much pressure game in and game out, that always fascinates me. And I think it's a skill set that doesn't maybe get talked enough about because we always talk about the physical attributes these players have, but I think what separates them from making it professionally in many ways is how strong mentally these athletes are. And I think the backup goaltender is one that's very unique in many ways. And I think it's, it's probably just more of a compliment to what the Lightning have been able to do with their backup goaltender situation over the last five, six years. And you can put Vassy in that situation because he was backing up Ben Bishop for a time. Yeah, he was also learning the position. I think there was a lot of yes. good work being done by him as a young goalie working with Fran John. I mean, if you're the backup, you're you're getting more practice time. You just are because you're yes. out there late after a morning skate. If it's an optional skate, you're going out there. And Vasilevsky loved going out there. In fact, when he took over the starter's position, he was going out every possible chance he had even on optional skates and I think the lightning had to let him know you know take this one off you know rest yeah. your body and he's learned to grow into that role I think I mean that's not the right way of putting it because he was very good in the number one role from the minute that that he ascended to that position but understanding how he can pace himself in terms of practice time 
But you're right. It's not something that every goalie, even goalies that have had successful careers in the NHL, if they reach a point where they are in a backup role, it's not something everyone can do. You're not playing regularly. You're not, you are seeing pucks because you're, you're in practice, more pucks than maybe you'd like to be seeing. But the game situations that are hard to replicate in practice, traffic in front, I mean, they try, but it's different when it's, it's another jerseyed player screening you and trying to impede your ability to find the puck. The ebbs and flows in a game going five minutes with no activity and then all of a sudden facing six shots in, in two minutes. Those are the game situations that are hard to replicate in practice and also difficult if you're only getting in one out of every four or five games. But you need to be able to deliver when you do get a chance. And that goes to the mental toughness that you just spelled out. It does. And um, it's just something that's always fascinating watching these guys perform at that level. So if you want to react to the, the goaltender situation, you certainly do. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio, at Dave Michigan, at Greg Linelli. You had mentioned the seeding, Dave, and kind of laying it out there for us in terms of what to look for, where Tampa Bay can finish. And it's interesting because we've seen so far some potential upsets here and uh, who Tampa Bay plays in that first round, obviously still to be determined, but a lot of surprises still left right now. And we just got done talking a bit with Dan about Montreal and Pittsburgh and what's going on there. And, you know, is this going to be the series or the, the playoff run that Carey Price can carry his team? I think everybody has been waiting for something like that. And maybe it's not necessarily Carey Price's fault when you start talking about can a guy like that carry an average team? But then again, I always come back to, well, if you're considered the best in the game and you're getting paid like it, sometimes you need performances every once in a while to showcase that skill set. Is that going to happen this year with Montreal? I don't know. I think it's a flawed team. But Carey Price certainly is at least standing out and making a difference in that series. And it's interesting to see if they do advance if he's able to continue to play that way and how much um, of a difference he will make against a, uh, another team. If it is the lightning, if it's somebody else, that's, that's a little more balanced than what we're seeing from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, you talk about Carey price and, and that's fair. And I think that he has played quite well in this series, but you know, he gave up three goals yesterday. So if you're Pittsburgh, Three should be enough, in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> if you're giving up four in a game, you're making your life very difficult. You're walking a very narrow path to victory, certainly in the playoffs. And they had a 3-1 lead. Now, the other part of this is it's a best of five. After this play-in round ends, it will be best of seven. Down to one in a best of seven is not ideal, but it's not even close to the same as being down 2-1 a best of five. <laughs> it's just a completely different dynamic. So I don't know. We don't know if Montreal is going to be able to close this out, A. And B, if they do close it out, who knows what's going to happen in the next round where the team that they face will have more runway to establish itself as the quote-unquote better team. I mean, certainly whatever team Montreal would face if they can get past the Penguins would 
be a round robin team that finished way ahead of Montreal in points in the regular season. But I think the Canadians, first of all, they are healthy. They got Druin back, who had been hurt, and he did score yesterday. And it is a fresh start. They were not expecting, I think, to make the playoffs. Of the 12 teams that got in in the East, the Canadians were probably the one team that got Willy Wonka's golden ticket, right? I mean, (laughs) you know, the other 11, even the Rangers were charging up the standings and they were within a stone's throw of, of making it. The Canadians had, had basically waved the, the white flag and raised the white flag. And they get this opportunity, like Dan Rosen said, they kind of have nothing to lose at this point. And they've had some early success in the series, which helps them play with some swagger and confidence. Now, will they able Will they be able to sustain this to get one more victory? And then if they can into the next round against a team, they're going to have to beat four times out of seven. Who knows? We have no idea, but certainly they are making the most of this opportunity given the fact that they are healthy. It's a short series and they've had some early success. The other big question, I think a lot of people at least bring it home here for the Tampa Bay lightning Dave is, have we gotten a bit closer in determining who's going to be in the top six? And really it comes down to the one spot playing alongside Victor Hedman, whether it's Zach Bogosian or Jan Rutza. I've made the conclusion, and maybe it's the wrong one, and certainly we can have that discussion right now, that my sense is Jan Rutza before the injury, even if they would have brought Zach Bogosian in, was going to be that guy playing along Victor Hedman. But now, post-injury, Jan Rutza, while I don't think he's played poorly, hasn't stood out. And I think the skill sets of Zach Bogosian at this point are more intriguing to the Lightning. And the pedigree is such that they look at the skill set and say, you know what, Rutza, I don't know, has gotten back to the level he was playing at before the injury. Bogosian's played well. He's rested. He's healed up. He's rejuvenated. He's got a big shot. He's more physical. I'm more inclined to give him that opportunity to see if he can play his way out of the lineup, so to speak, and give him first dibs once the playoffs begin then I see Jan Rutsa getting back into the lineup to start things in the playoffs. Maybe it's a fair analysis. Maybe it's not. My sense is they're leaning towards Bogosian, and I don't think anything I've seen up to this point has changed my way one way or the other. Well, you're accurate in your assessment because we can just look at how training camp kind of evolved and unfolded where Ruta started as Hedman's partner, and then by the end of the time in Tampa, Bogosian was Hedman's partner. Bogosian has been Hedman's partner when Victor arrived in Toronto because he stayed back in Tampa for a few days when the rest of the team left. But when Hedman got to Toronto and they had some practices before the first round robin game, who was his partner? Bogosian. Who was his partner in the first round robin game? Bogosian. And I think it will be illuminating to see who that defenseman will be Saturday. If it's Bogosian or if it's Jan Ruda, I would venture to say that that's probably going to be the guy who is going to be Hedman's partner for game one of the playoffs, assuming nothing funky happens, 
knock on wood injuries or whoever comes in has a particularly bad performance, you know, which can happen. And maybe the coaches change their mind. But let's remember that whatever the lineup is for game one of the playoffs, that in all likelihood, particularly if the Lightning go on the deep run that they want to go on, that will not be the lineup for each and every game during this playoff run. So whether it's Jan Ruda or Luke Shen or Braden Colburn or whomever, if Stamkos comes back, we've talked about does Stevens come out of the lineup. If it's Stevens, if it's somebody else who gets pushed out of the lineup with a Stamkos return, those players need to stay ready and those players need to be able to produce and contribute when they are called upon because the odds are way better than 50-50 that they will be called upon. So I think it's good that Ruda got into the game yesterday, whether he plays Saturday or whether it's Bogosian, however they want to work the lineup. Maybe they give somebody the day off on Saturday. I would not expect to see that, but it could happen. I think they all need to prepare as though they are going into the lineup. And that's the best mindset that you can have to be ready to play when you are called upon, whether it's for game one, game three, or some... At this point, unknown game down the road. But that's what the Lightning are going to need from every guy that they brought to the Hub City. There's no question. And the back end certainly has played better over the years than we've seen in in previous ones. And I know Phil had made the comment. He felt like Chernak really played well yesterday, uh, along with McDonough and... I can't stress enough just the depth that they do have, the quality depth. And you're talking about Shattenkirk and Sergachev. And, you know, of course, Victor Hedman is, is going to play as many games as possible. So from that standpoint, there's just a really nice mix of players they have there. And you're right. I mean, in the playoffs, you know, if the Lightning had a turn to Luke Shen for a couple of games, Dave, you saw during the Stanley Cup run back in 04, you know, the Lightning certainly had to use their depth pieces. And yep. what's great about that is, they're veteran guys. They're not necessarily younger players who may come in and be overwhelmed. I mean, they have guys back there who have logged a lot of minutes, Braden Coburn as well. And what a luxury that is for John Cooper to insert either one of those guys, if he has to, during the playoffs to give his team a boost. And you feel like they really wouldn't miss a beat outside of, you know, if a, a Victor Hedman went down for an extended period of time or one of the veteran guys did that they would be able to keep their head above water and give their team an opportunity to win. That's why it's so important to play well as a team. And when we talk about playing with structure and playing well without the puck, being in good position, you know, like we talked about the Bergeron line and how good that line is for Boston. But in terms of their team defense – the Bergeron line, Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak are three players out of 18 skaters that the Bruins use in a given game, not including the goalies. But all 18 skaters are pulling the rope in the same direction, which is why the Bruins, when when they are not kind of rediscovering their game, and, and Dan talked about that a little bit in the earlier segment, they are almost machine-like in their execution for how well they defend. And 
that allows you to overcome in many instances the loss of a player even if that player has an outsized role on your team because the person coming in also plays the system well and so that is really important and i think we would be foolhardy to expect that whether it's the lightning or any team that is in this thing for around two rounds whatever they are not going to need to dip into their depth when they invariably lose a player or more than one player due to injury we've seen it already i mean winnipeg has been really hard hit let's see if raffle plays yeah today for for the flyers who had a great game against boston but then got hurt late in the third period so it's just it's the nature of the game you're going to need depth and you hope that the players who come in like I said earlier, are able to contribute and, and, and pull on that rope to help the team find success. Dave, lastly, we'll end with this. Mitchell Stevens continues to perform well, specifically for being a rookie. Pat Maroon had some glowing things to say about him after the Caps game. And I kind of threw out that question after the Caps game, and I think we actually talked about it with Bobby the Chief Taylor. Is this a guy, when everybody's healthy, is it going to be tough to take him out of the lineup? It's a great problem to have, but in all seriousness, is this something where John Cooper is going to have to look at and say, we're going to have to find a way to keep him in, and if that means taking a veteran out of the lineup to find a way that Mitchell Stevens contributes to our team on a nightly basis, then so be it. Again, it's a great problem to have, but I, I think we are getting to the point where I don't know how long Steven Stamkos is going to be out. That, that's the unknown factor in all of this. That's a guy who's an elite goal scorer that can take face-offs. And obviously, one of the drawing, the big positives you get from Mitchell Stevens is the fact that he can win some face-offs outside of what we saw yesterday. But that was against Patrice Bergeron and a pretty good Boston team that can do that. But if you believe that winning key face-offs is a huge part of playoff hockey, and you and I both agree it is, and even if when, when Steven Stamkos does come back, has Mitchell Stevens shown us the abilities that key players that can win face-offs show us that we're going to throw you out there whenever we can, late in the game, even if you're not getting a ton of minutes, and that that skill set warrants you being in the lineup game in and game out regardless of how deep we are and regardless of your status in the league? That's a tough hypothetical, and we kind it's of... what I do, Dave. I know. We kind of kicked this around <laughs> on a show earlier this week. Stamkos and Stevens play the same position. They're both right-handed. They both can play on penalty kill. So Stevens is definitely filling the role that has been vacated by Stamkos's absence. There's no question about that. When Stamkos returns... Does that mean that Stevens is no longer needed to fill that role in some way, shape, or form? So he's the he's the guy who sits out. Who knows? I, I don't know the answer to that. And that will be a very tough decision for John Cooper. But it's a hypothetical because, you know, by the time that Stamkos is able to return, and we don't know when that is, we're presuming that everybody else stays healthy. So I look at it this way. If Stevens entered phase three as the 13th forward, one of those forwards is not able to play right now, Stamkos. 
So he slots in as number 12. If at some point he becomes number 13 again, it may not be that long before he is asked to be number 12 again because somebody is unable to play for whatever reason. And it's kind of like what he said about the depth, uh, talking about the defense. So I guess I choose to look at it this way, not kind of a, a zero sum of if Stamp goes comes in, does that definitely mean that that Stevens comes out? I look at the situation more like this. Stevens has proven to be incredibly valuable. And whenever he does get into a game, and it may be every game, it may be some games, he has proven that he can contribute. But so can the other guys that comprise the other 12 forward positions in this, if we're going to say the top 13, they've also shown that they contribute. We just talked about Yanni Gord contributing. Pat Maroon won Stanley Cup. Paquette was a guy we talked about. He's given the Lightning really valuable playing time, not only over the course of his career with the Lightning, but especially in the playoffs where he plays that sandpaper-type game. Coleman and Goodrow brought into the trade deadline. We talked about how effective they are at getting under the skin of the opposition, how good they are in PK. And then, you know, you're looking at the top six. So I don't have the answer to the question. All I know is that the Lightning have done well to draft and develop this player, Stevens, who is now at the point where he can make a tangible difference when the games matter the most. It's a great problem to have, no doubt about that. All right, that's going to wrap up our show today. If you want to react to anything we had to say, you can at Greg Linelli, at Dave Michigan, and at Bolts Radio. Steve Ersnick producing. Thank you for all your great work, Dave. It was a lot of fun again today. We'll do it again tomorrow and get everybody set for the Flyers game on Saturday. Sounds good, Greg. Thank you. All right, we don't know the time yet for that. Hopefully by tomorrow we will. It might be Friday night, but we'll make sure we tweet it out or... You'll listen to it on Power Lunch tomorrow, and we'll have that for you. I am Greg Linelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody. It's Power Lunch on Lighting Power Play.